0: Well, good morning. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. If you're joining us online this morning, I'm glad you're joining us. Uh, you know, it is January 1st. We only had one service at 11. So if you're joining us online at home, we, we know why you're joining us online at home. So we're just glad you're here. We're glad you're welcome here. Anybody's welcome here. We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, hey, I'm so glad you're joining us today. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors And uh, we are going to do um, a little bit of something different for the next two weeks. Uh, I keep teasing out that we're going to get to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to. We're going to get to the book of Hebrews. uh, But again, if I'm going to be honest and transparent, it's very intimidating to start the book of Hebrews. So I keep delaying so I can get more time to prep, because if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, it's like... What are you talking about? Right? So that's just me being honest anyway. So, um, hey, so, uh, but before we do a quick announcement for you is that we do this thing around here called rooted. And uh, If you haven't done Rooted yet before, uh, you should get yourself signed up for Rooted. It's 10 weeks, so it's a significant commitment of your time. It's 10 weeks, but it is the best way to get connected around here. It's the best way to uh, find a place to serve, to grow in your faith. Um, If you give the 10 weeks, if you invest in the 10 weeks, uh, there's nobody that's gone through it that's given the 10 weeks and then been like, well, that was kind of a waste of time. right? It's awesome. It's really great. Um, and so we would love for you to get signed up for Rooted. The easiest way to do that is to text the word Monmouth to 97,000, and then one of the options will be Rooted. You can find information about the dates and the schedule and all that kind of stuff. and get yourself signed up uh, for Rooted. Uh, I, it is a new year, and uh, I, I, love, I love the beginning of years, right? And it's not for the New Year's resolutions, right? If you're doing a New Year's resolution, I'm proud of you. I'm glad for you. That's awesome. Um, it's just that there feels like such potential, like every single year, I I don't know about you, but every single year, it feels like, whew, I made it through that year, right? Like It's just this kind of arbitrary line, and every single year, it starts with this like great anticipation, excitement. For me, um, uh, I like to do stuff, and so every single January, like, I get really excited about thinking about, like, oh, this next year, we're going to go to this place, and this is what vacation looks like this year, and I'm so excited for these things. And to be honest, uh, for me, a lot of times, I don't know if you're like me, a lot of times, the anticipation of the thing is like almost more fun than the thing right? Like I'm like, oh, we're going, we're going, right? We're going on a vacation in a couple weeks and I'm checking the weather constantly every day. Oh, 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 look the weather. It, it got one degree warmer. The projection, it's going to be one degree warmer when we get there. It's going to be awesome, right? Um, but maybe, maybe for you, you think about what this year going to bring and um, it's just more stuff, I don't mean like physical stuff, like it's just more busy and another year older and more doctor's appointments and more kids sports and more school and more responsibility. I saw a statistic recently that said that that, uh, Americans, that adults, American adults, that 70, over 70% of Americans identify themselves as constantly busy, right? constantly busy. And maybe as you think of 2023, it's maybe even just like a little bit of a weighty thing to think like, there's just gonna be more. And the decisions that have to be made, maybe there's some really big life changes that are happening in 2023 and you already know that they're coming and it just feels like more. There's this passage, we know, we've, we've read it before, you've probably read it before, Matthew um, 11, 28 is what my note says, but I think that's the wrong reference. Oh, no, it's not. There we go. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. It says this. It's Jesus speaking. He says to me, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I wonder... As we start this year how many of us after another year and with another year looking forward just need a little bit of this rest i wonder how many of us have been accumulating burdens and weariness you know i i listened to one guy talk one time and he said um the thing about life is that most of the time the things that happen in life aren't that monumental. Like sometimes there's big significant things. There's deaths, there's divorces, there's disease. There's these big things that happen in life and those feel really weighty. But he said the hard thing about every year passing is that every single year there's like these little things, right? And he says it's like, it's like just taking like a little stone from the river and, and holding it. Right, and, and, and you have this thing, and you had this you know, horrible weekend. You had this car breakdown. These, these relatively small things, and, and you hold them. He said the problem is, is when we start holding more and more and more of these stones, and then we hold them for months and years, these things that in the moment felt very light begin to be things that feel like great burdens weighing down on us. And I wonder how many of us could use a little rest. To think about what it looks like to find rest in Jesus, I figured we'd start at the very beginning, um, you, you know, the passage. it's Genesis 1. Uh, let's look at it. It says this, right? This is the way God created things to be. So it, it's this great poem song right at the beginning, and it tells us this image of how God created things to be. And so it's always a really good place to ground ourselves. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God saw that the light was good, oh, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, and that was one day. Have you ever noticed this? I was thought this was weird. I'm sure you've noticed this. Is this a weird way of measuring days? Like the, the the refrain of this poem that Genesis one is says this thing over and over and over again. It talks about uh, it says, and there was evening, and there was morning one day, and he talks about what he creates on the second day, and then it says it ends with the refrain, with the chorus, and there was evening, there was morning, one day, and then he talks about what he creates on the third day, and how that all goes, and then it ends, and there was evening, and there was morning, one day, you know, it's it's important in the Bible, but it's also just important in all of life, when things are repeated over and over and over again, like, We should pay attention, right? Um, If I get a missed call, right? I have a missed call and I look at my phone and, you know, missed call and there's no voicemail and there's no text message. Let me just tell you, I don't know about you. Let me tell you, I'm not calling you back, okay? Here's why. Here's why. 95% of the time, is this not the conversation? Okay. Hey, Seth, what's up? Oh, I just had a question for you, but I figured it out. Don't worry about it. Great. Good to chat with you. Right? But if I walk off this stage and I pick up my phone and there's 12 missed calls, do you think I'm calling them back? Yeah. If there's 12 missed calls, I'm like, something important is happening. Right? Right? And the same thing happens in scripture. When God says something over and over and over, he wants us to notice something. You see, in in our society, in our culture, the day starts in the morning. When we wake up, it's the start of a new day, right? I mean, that's even kind of sometimes if you have a prayer in the morning, that may be part of your prayer that, that God would bless this new day. And our days start in the morning, and they start in the day. There was day, and there was evening, and that was a day. But God's trying to say something really significant and important. In the way he designed things to be, he says this refrain over and over and over. There was evening, and there was morning, and that was a day. Here's, here's why um, it's think about, think about the context of the first people who were hearing this. The first people are hearing this story, the the Pentateuch, Genesis, the first five books of the Bible, um, are what's called the book of Moses, the books of Moses, right? Um, Historically, traditionally, the Jewish faith believes that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, right? And so if Moses is the one who wrote these books and he said these stories, he told the people these things, right through some revelation from God or, or or passed down through lineage however it came to him right where is Moses telling him? he's telling a bunch of people who are now out in the wilderness after being freed from Egypt right they've been slaves in Egypt God calls Moses burning bush you know the story he goes in he, he says let my people go right I, I don't he says that over and over and you may not know this but the 10 plagues actually take years to go through and eventually Pharaoh relents and he lets the people go and, and they sacrifice the lambs, they smear the blood post over their door for the, the last plague, uh, the death of the firstborn and he lets them go and they, they, they leave and they come to the edge of the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea and they go through the Red Sea and the greatest arm in the world ever known goes into the Red Sea and it collapses and they drown and now they're out in the wilderness, right? They're out in the wilderness and God's trying to teach them when they're out in the wilderness God's trying to teach them what it means to be his people. And he's telling them that there is going to be something different about the rhythms of their life. You see, for 400 years, these people had been brickmakers. Think 400 years. 400 years. If we went back 400 years today, like if if the exodus happened today and we were the people that God freed in the exodus. Think about this. 1623, 400 years ago, for 400, 1623, that's a long time ago, do you know that? Right? They didn't have iPhones, they didn't have internet, they didn't even have Starbucks. I don't know how people survived in 1623. Think about the world they lived in. For 400 years they'd been slaves, and the only value their life had was in the bricks they produced. God was trying to deliver his people out from the bondage of slavery and from the culture of Egypt. And he's trying to teach them something different, that in this place, in this land I'm going to lead you into, you are not going to be brick makers, you're going to be image bearers. And part of being image bearers is honoring the rhythm that I've created. Your day does not begin. The first priority in your life is not what you produce. You may know this about Jewish culture. They still honor this this way, that that a Jewish day begins at sunset. A Jewish day begins at sunset. And so you know what a Jewish day begins with? Most of the time, especially on holidays, you know what a Jewish day begins with? It begins with gathering with family and friends and eating and laughing and telling stories and reciting scripture and having a good time in community together. And then a Jewish day begins with rest, not work. Because for 400 years, these people had been reinforced to them that their value was in what they produced. They were brickmakers. But God's inviting them to something different, to be some different type of people. He has a different plan for them, to be something different. We see this pattern reinforced in Jesus. Uh, Matthew 3, it tells us the, the, when Jesus gets baptized. Matthew 3, verse 16, it says this. When Jesus is going to get baptized. That's right. No, that's not the right one. Maybe I didn't paste it in there. I got, I got my Bible right here. See, look, look, here we go, analog. This is how people survived in 1623. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew 3. Uh, what did I say, 316? <coughs> 316. Okay, here we go. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened... And he saw the spirit of God descend as a dove and lightning on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, that may not sound significant and profound to you, but let me ask you this. How many bricks had Jesus produced at that point in his life? How many miracles had he done? How many people had he healed? How how many people had he died for? How many crosses had he bared? How many resurrections had he been a part of in others and himself? Before Jesus does anything, his father says to him, this is my son in whom I am greatly, overwhelmingly satisfied in. Not because the bricks he produced, but because the image he bears. Here's the deal. We live in a society, we live in an Egypt. We live in a kind of culture that values you for the bricks you produce. Now it might not be bricks with straw and clay. It may be accolades. It may be degrees, it may be test scores, it may be promotions, it may be salaries, it may be toys, it may be trinkets, it may be houses, it may be cars. But we live in a society that's constantly pushing us that our value is in the bricks that we make, but we serve a God who is constantly challenging us to be reminded that we are not brick makers. Before anything else, Before we lift a finger, we are sons and daughters in whom he is well pleased. And so you know what? We can feast and sleep and wait for work to come. We can celebrate God's goodness and wait for the work he calls us to. Now it's not easy. It's not easy to rest. In fact, I was thinking about this as I was preparing. Um, resting is its own kind of labor. Can I, like anybody agrees with me? Like resting is its own kind of like it is hard. It is hard to turn off all the electronics, to shut your mind off. Right? Maybe you're not even an electronics person. Just to shut your mind off. It is hard to take the to-do list. It's hard to sit in your living room and hear the faucet dripping in the bathroom and think, I'm not gonna fix that today. I'm just gonna rest. It's hard to say no to all the demands of this life and to fill your schedule. It rest is a discipline of labor, but it is a discipline that reminds our souls that our value is not in what we produce or how we perform but our value is in the image that we bear. So I wonder, I wonder how much, uh, how many of us are weary and heavy laden because we failed to take the moments to rest in the goodness of God, in his provision, in his sufficiency, to lay down our self-justification. In it. Now, h- hear me. This is not, this is not a, 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 a sermon of you shouldn't work hard, right? That's not at all represented in scripture. You should work hard, but you know when you should work? After you rest. Isn't it weird? Think about just the rhythm that we have. We work Right? Whether it's your job or with parenting or with relationships or socially, we work until we're too tired to work anymore, and then we rest. But the rhythm that God creates is that we rest to prepare ourselves for work. In fact, there's this uh, really great quote from Martin Luther. I think it's applicable. He, he says this. Um, he's talking about, I mean, I don't know if you know who Martin Luther is. Now you're going to read the quote and we're going to get ahead of ourselves. But um, I don't know if you know who Martin Luther is, but he's like one of the most significant figures in the Reformation, which was this cataclysmic change in the Christian faith, right? And he says this, I have so much to do, right? Anybody else? So much to do, that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I shall labor in prayer. I shall rest in the presence of God. I shall petition the Lord. I shall remember his goodness and celebrate his goodness. I have so much to do, but first I have to stop and be silent for hours. I think that if we are going to be people who are going to find the kind of rest that Jesus invites us to, we are going to have to be people who adamantly, aggressively push against the Egypts of our life that demand us to make more bricks with less straw and to know that even when we stand in the wilderness and we look out on the horizon and it looks like there's nothing, just barrenness, that we know that the God who spoke and light erupted into his creation, that he is a God who can provide, who is sufficient and who is able, that what God has done is more important than our to do, that God's sufficiency And grace and mercy is abundantly, excessively, overwhelmingly more able than all of our discipline, all of our late nights, all of our extra hours, all of our hard work. That our confidence, that our patience, that our peace, that our joy comes not in the bricks we accumulate but in living in the truth that because of Jesus, the words God says of you, this is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased, period. Today, in this moment, whatever your life looks like, because of Jesus, this is my child in whom I'm well pleased. So what does it look like? What does it look like? I mean, I just want to end today with just a, a couple little practical things. What does it look like to rest? Right? Um, there's this quote, we'll, we'll start with this. Um, it's one of the greatest, it, this was such a life giving quote for me because um, when I went to Bible college, you know, they talk about Sabbath and rest and all this kind of stuff. And I have these professors, and they'll be like, you know, on my day off, I like to read all the writings of Tolkien. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that is, that is a kind of purgatory I would never want to endure. <laughs> right? And I had one professor, he gave us this quote, and I love it. He says this, He who labors with his mind, sabbaths with his hands. And he who labors with his hands, sabbaths with his mind. So this is what this means. Right? When Jesus, when God was talking to his people and he was telling them to rest, they lived in an agricultural society and that their work was to be out in the dirt and to be building and constructing and fixing and digging and cultivating things. And so when he tells them to rest, he tells them to stop using their hands. Right? That's all the prohibitions over and over again is to stop using their hands and to sit and to watch their neighbors who aren't Jewish, to watch their neighbors harvest the land and to watch their, their grapes overripe out on the vine and go, oh, I need to get those grapes today, but I gotta sit here and trust that God's gonna be good. Right? But for them, for people who worked with their hands, Sabbath looked like resting their hands and using their mind. And for some of us who spend most of our work working with our mind, Sabbath may not look like sitting on the couch and reading a book. That may be a kind of torture for you. And it may not be restful but maybe going outside and building something may be a kind of Sabbath for you. So I made a list of just some ingredients, some things that I think rest should look like. You don't have to have all these, and these aren't out of scripture, these are some thoughts, some ideas. It looks to me like often when when people rest in scripture, they're surrounded with people. Uh, Their culture was a very communal culture. And they would have meals together and they would celebrate together and even their resting would be together. Rest looks like it should be a rhythm. Like maybe it's not all day, maybe it's an afternoon, maybe it's an hour, maybe, maybe you just start, you mark out a time on your calendar and you're like, for an hour? Uh, I'm, I'm shutting everything off, I'm not doing anything else, but it looks like it's a rhythm. This is the, the precedent that God sent for his people that every seventh day they would rest for a whole day. I think when you look at scripture, you see over and over again that rest looks like engaging in acts of worship. Engaging in acts of worship and praise and celebrating God's goodness, and maybe that's reading or praying or singing or playing an instrument. I think in contrast to rest looking like being with people, there are times where rest looks like silence. Rest looks like prayer. It looks like walking. It looks like abstaining from anything that resembles anything that looks like what you do to work, to make bricks in your life. We are a tired people. So many of us are a weary and worn down people. And at the end of every year, I think I see more people posting on social media about Oh, I'm so glad to see this year be done finally. And on to a new year. And this year's going to be different. And this year's going to be better. But until we become a people who discipline ourselves to the labor of rest in God's goodness, I fear that next year we'll stand here just again the same. Oh, we made it through 2023 a new year, 2024, and we'll delude ourselves. Instead, I pray, I hope that in the presence of Egypt that only values you for the bricks you make, that you might push back and rest and celebrate and know that these words are still true today, that God said to his son, that God says to you, This is my child in whom I am well pleased, in whom I rejoice over, in whom I adore, in whom I love, in whom I celebrate. Not a future you, not a better you, not an accomplished you, but you today. This is my child in whom I'm well pleased. And in that truth, may we find rest for our weary souls.